The following audio is recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church and is part of our series called The Trinity in Advent. For previous messages or to find out more about Stone Oak Bible Church, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Church, you can grab a seat. I'm so thankful for you. Uh, I'm thankful that you're here. Thank you. It is uh, one of the craziest travel days of the year, so I, uh, you guys are smart and not traveling on Sunday. You love Jesus that much. You come back on Saturday. No, but I, I do want to just keep those who are traveling in our prayers. I'm so grateful for you, for you being here. I hope your Thanksgiving was great. Uh, I know some of you are probably still coming down off of a little turkey and dressing high. Um, probably many of you are kind of tired of leftovers by this point, wondering why did we make so much, but I'm so glad you're here. Listen, we are going to start into a brand new series this morning uh, called The Trinity in Advent. Uh, The Trinity in Advent. So as you guessed by the title, we are going to be talking about the Trinity. We're going to be talking about um, God being Trinity. And let's just be honest here. This can be an absolutely daunting subject. Anyone? Just me? This can be an absolutely daunting subject. It's a bit like having a sermon series called God. I'm just saying, go. You know, it's, it's, it's a daunting subject, but um, here's the deal. There is no subject, there's no topic that is more important than this one. And I don't want to, I'm not overstating that. There is no topic, there is no subject that, that is, is more important than this period. Because when we talk about the Trinity, we're not talking about some side thing, uh, some characteristic of, no, we are talking about God himself. We are talking about who he is. And so, to get our minds kind of rolling in this direction, um, think with me for a moment of the ways that we talk about the Trinity. Um, maybe some popular analogies that we use. And, and before I say any of these, if I say your favorite analogy and I pick on you, I'm not picking on you, all right? I've used all of these, all right? But, but I just want us to kind of see the way that we can think about the Trinity. First, have you heard about the egg? This is one of the most common ones. And honestly, as common as it is, it's probably one of my favorites. Uh, you have one egg, three parts, one egg, Right? It's fairly simple. Uh, you can use this as a teaching tool. Um, although this, is, this analogy works, it kind of falls short. It doesn't just kind of fall short. It, it falls short, but it's a good one. How about this one? Um, H2O, right? Uh, water exists. You know, you have liquid. You have, you have ice. You have steam. It's water in three different uh, forms, right? Th- honestly, this one is my least favorite. So if this one is your favorite, I apologize. Um, it just, it falls short. Even in this analogy, water is existing in different forms, but never at the same time. That's not quite right. How about the shamrock leaf? Has anyone heard of the shamrock leaf? No. Okay, one. That's good. The shamrock leaf is, is one leaf with uh, three shams, right? So you have the three shams on one leaf. It's one leaf with three parts, right? And so, so there it is. Um, out of all of these, 
and there, I'm sure there are many more that you could add to this, uh, what do they all share in common? They all fall short. In one way or another, they, they all seem to just kind of fall short uh, in, in some way. Is there any wonder why we struggle to talk about the Trinity if we don't know how to talk about it? Uh, we talked about last week how uh, the Trinity could be one of the most difficult things that we teach our children, right? It's because we ourselves struggle with how we, we talk about it, and children seem to just poke it. They, they know when, when they sense when you're not clear, right? But we, this is a difficult thing. Um, is there any wonder why we struggle to understand the Trinity? I want to push this a little further, just as a foundation for our series. I want us to think about the way that we think about God. Think about the way our culture thinks about God. Better yet, if you're a history person, you like history, think about the way ancient cultures have, have thought about God. Uh, here's what you're going to find. We have this, this temptation, and all of us have it, to kind of create God in our own images, to create a God that fits into our boxes that make sense. We create gods in our own images, except they're the good parts of us, not the bad ones, but we create kind of these best-case scenario gods. Uh, let me give you some examples. Uh, for those who are history people, think of the Vikings. What image comes to your mind? Burly, bearded dudes, right? Guess what their gods look like? Burly, bearded, axe-wielding warrior, warrior gods, right? That was the, it made sense because those gods make sense for that culture. Think about the Greeks. The Greek gods were just very Greek, they were just altogether Greek. It made sense. Every culture, every culture, that, every little G God that has ever been created has been created out of someone's image. Every one of them. Until, of course, we come to our triune God. What box did that come from? What culture did that come from? I mean, this doesn't make any sense. I mean, we have one God, singular, who is three persons, plural, and one God eternally that's, that's singular. That makes, I mean, what box? Who created that one? Whose image was that? What culture modeled this? Let me answer that. He doesn't fit in any box. It just doesn't fit. It doesn't fit in any culture's idea of, of God. Is there any wonder why we struggle to wrap our minds around the Trinity. We take our, our idea of God and we try to cram the God of the Bible into it, and it, he just doesn't fit. He doesn't fit. We try to take our idea of God and we cram Father, Spirit, and then put the Son down in there, and it just doesn't fit. It becomes this side doctrine that we, that we struggle with. And here's what happens. When we try to do this, we, you may have been in this, this place. You throw your hands up and you say, it's a mystery and we'll never know. When God doesn't fit into that box, which he doesn't, we, mystery, we're not meant to know. God is bigger. We, we, we put the mystery language and then what we do is we take it a step further and we say, but the only thing I do know is God is love and God has saved me. And here's the, here's the truth. 
Amen, those are true statements. Amen, God is love, which we are gonna talk about that this morning. Amen, that, that praise God that God saved us, which we're also going to talk about that this morning. But God is love and God saved us is not a distinctly Christian message. At best, it's a part truth. But it's not distinctly Christian. The Trinity is what makes our faith distinct. The Trinity is what makes our, it is the truth on which all other truths are built. And here's why. Because the Trinity is our God. It's not a side thing. It, the Trinity is our God. He is God. Foundational. You, all else is built on, on, this, on this truth. Here's why this series matters so much. You cannot deny the Trinity and claim that you accept the biblical God. You can't. Because to deny the Trinity is to deny God himself. That is how foundational this, this is this morning. To believe in, to stand on, to hold to, to trust, to find joy in the Trinity is to believe in, hold to, stand on, trust, and find joy in God himself. This is foundational. This is Christian. As you can tell, I'm excited for this series. Um, typically, uh, for anyone here who is a guest with us, I'm, I'm so glad you're here. Typically at Stone Oak Bible Church, what we will do is we will walk through books of the Bible together. So 47, 48 weeks of this last year, that's what we have done together. Uh, we love it. Here this morning, we're going to do something a little different uh, and and um, don't hear me wrong, still founded on the, the word of God, right? Um, but we are going to, instead of just carrying on with the book of Luke, which has been incredible, we're gonna kind of push the pause button and we are going to look at our foundation. As followers of Jesus, we're gonna be doing some foundation work over the, past, over the next couple next couple of, of weeks. So um, to you who are followers of Christ in this room, my hope and prayer through this series is that your foundation is built, that it is strengthened. I hope that this series brings you joy, increases your joy. Uh, for, for anyone in this room who is not yet a follower of Jesus, you're gonna get a glimpse of our very foundation. You're gonna get a glimpse of, and you're gonna get a better picture of what we hold so true and so close. You're gonna get a picture of what is distinctly, foundationally Christian. And, and, and my hope that is as we do that, you're gonna get a pe better picture of the God that we love, the God that we serve, and the God who saved us. That's my prayer uh, through, this, through this series. So having said all that, laying the foundation for our series, let me do this. Let me just pray for us, and then we'll open our Bibles together. God, Thank you for revealing yourself in your word. I pray that you would open our eyes to who you are over the next several weeks, that we would know you better, and that our joy in you would increase. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and grab them and, and open to 2 Corinthians, and we'll be in, in chapter 13. 
And as you're turning there, let me just give you some fun facts to, about the Trinity, get us on the same page. One, if you were to look in your Bible, you will not find the word Trinity anywhere in it, right? Um, so in some sense, you could say that the Trinity is not biblical. You'd be wrong, but you could say that. No, um, you're not gonna find the word Trinity in, in, in your Bible, because although Trinity is not a biblical term, it is a biblical truth. And, and the term Trinity has been used to kind of apply it and to label what the Bible teaches about God himself. So the Trinity, Trinity, the word, is not gonna be anywhere on the pages of your Bible. Um, second, let me just, in, in, by way of getting us all on the same page, when I say Trinity, I am referring to our God who is one and three. Father, Spirit, Son, all distinct from each other and all eternal, meaning they have always been and always will be. Three in one. That's what I mean when I say Trinity. There's another name that I'm going to use this morning to talk about the Trinity, and that is the word triune. This is not just a fancy word for Trinity. Maybe it is, but it's, it's not. Um, Trinity or triune literally means three in one. Tri meaning tricycle, like three, and un meaning one, three in one. So when we say Trinity, when we say triune, that's what we're talking about this morning. Um, if you look with me at 2 Corinthians, hopefully you've, you've found your place there. Paul is writing to a, a church, to a group of Christians in the city of Corinth, and he's instructing them, at times rebuking them, uh, giving them instructions for how they're to live their life, live out their faith, specifically how they're to live out their faith in the church, with each other, in a community of faith. Um, and so, so Paul is, is giving them these instructions, and then in chapter 13, he's closing his letter. So he's saying his last things before he closes his letter. It's his, it's his finale here, and I want to look at the finale of the finale. All right, so we're going to start in verse 11 together. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace Again, encouraging them to live out their faith in community, to live it out. And then Paul says, live in peace, and, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. There are some things, some customs that I'm glad that didn't transfer to modern day America. I mean, I love you guys, but kissing is, is anyway, not the point. Back in... Um, Verse 12, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. And now listen to the last sentence in verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This closing sentence has three parts involving each of the three members of the Trinity and each function thereof. Um, as you can tell, this is, a, this is a pretty packed verse, but here Paul wishes, which he does this in a lot of his letters, what he'll do is at the end of a letter, he'll kind of give his desire, his wish, his prayer for the church. And in this church, his prayer is, one, that they would know, that they would see, that they would understand the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, two, the love of God, and three, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. This is his prayer 
And, and by the way, um, can that be ours in this series? Can this be ours, that, that we, would, we would know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that we, in the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit? That's Paul's prayer for this church, basically to know God more. This morning, what I wanna do it, to set the stage for this series is to unpack this, this sentence um, together. And I wanna start right there in the first part, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the grace of the Son, Paul says, uh, Paul prays, he hopes that they would experience, that they would know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, um, I wish we could actually do this experiment. It would take too much time. But if I were to have every one of you stand up and to tell me one of your, tell me the, your favorite doctrine, your favorite truth of the Christian faith. If I were to just call you up here one by one, you had to do it. Tell me your favorite part of the Christian faith. What would it be? What would it be? What would it be? I guarantee, I guarantee that, that one of the answers, if not the most prominent answer, would be salvation through grace. Salvation through grace. Uh, we stand on this. We hold to this. And, and it is such a beautiful truth. But what causes this truth to stand out among all the other beautiful truths? Why do you think that this would be one of the most popular answers? Well, it, it makes sense because the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'll put it like this and we'll kind of build on this, is what bridges the gap between who God is and who you are. Grace bridges the gap between who God is, what we know about God, and who you are, what you know about you. Grace bridges that gap. Gap. Here's what I mean. When we read, when we study about our God, we read how amazing, how beautiful, how perfect, how holy, how just, how righteous that our God is, how big our God is, it's, it's breathtaking until we understand, until it crashes into the realization of who we are. Like, it's, it's, it's amazing to think our God is perfect until we say, whoops, I'm not. God is holy. I'm not. I'm not. What, what do we do with that? Here's, here's the truth. When who God is collides with who we are, you have a great cause for concern. You shouldn't be comfortable with that. Right? There, there should be a great cause for concern. When God's perfection, when his holiness, when his, when his righteousness collides with your sin, with your frailty, with your brokenness, there should be a great cause for concern. There should be a great cause. And by the way, this isn't unique to us in 2016. Um, we, we looked later or earlier this year, you don't have to turn with me here, but we looked at the book of Job together. And in Job, we see this, in, this beautiful uh, scene when, when Job realizes very clearly, God, you are over here, and God, I am over here. And Job longs for that gap. Listen to this. This is how Job says it in Job 9. He says, For he that is God is not a man as I am, that I might answer him, that we should come to trial together. There is no arbiter between us. 
who might lay his hand on us both. Let him take his rod away from me and let not dread of him terrify me. Then I would speak without fear of him, for I am not so in myself. Job says, I can't just go to him. My sinfulness has me here. God's perfection has him here. I can't just go to him. And, he, and, and what we just witnessed was Job realizing who I am just hopelessly collided with who God is. And he is, he is left here crying out, oh, if only, if only there was a bridge, if only there was a mediator. Oh, if only. See, when God when who God is collides with who I am, there is a great reason for concern. And that's why this is so beautiful, and that is why this is Paul's prayer, that we would know the grace of the Son, that we would know the grace, that we would see, that we would understand, that there is a bridge, there is a mediator, and his name is Jesus Christ, that we would know the great, the writer of Hebrews says it like this, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence, listen to this, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It is beautiful, amen? Amen. It is beautiful. Our text, Paul says, I pray that you know that. I pray that you know the grace of the Son. It is impossible, church, to know that, to know the grace of the Son apart from the Trinity. It is impossible to understand that, to know that apart from the Trinity. When you have God who is over here and you who is over here, there is a problem. Let me just... Let me just create just a little example that, that might bring some clarity around this. So if you have truly God over here, you over here, what are the options? Well, one option would be for God just to bring you to himself, right? Just bring you to himself. To I'll just ignore the gap, bring you to himself. The problem with that is God could not be just. God could not be just. He could not be holy. If he ignores sin, it would, okay, we, we get this on a human level. Go to a courtroom, and if a judge looked at a guilty murderer and said, you know what? You're good. You're good. Just go. Just, just go and try to do better. You're free. I mean, it would be great if you're that, that criminal, but you can't call that judge just anymore. You couldn't. Because he's not. He's not. He, he ignored what was right, what was true, what was holy. God can't do that and still remain who he is. God would have to change who he is in order to bring who you are to him. And he would no longer be, no longer remain who he is. Now, um, what's the other option? The other option is for us See God over here, and for us to just grin and bear it and come to this side. Make it to God on our own. Be good enough, be, um, clean ourselves up enough to earn that. 
right? That has a name, it's called legalism, and it has not worked. The history of humanity, no one's ever been able to do that. So if that's the game plan, probably not your best approach. Why is that? Why, why hasn't it worked? Because just like if God were here and you were there and God just brought you over, he could not remain who he is. Church, if you're over here and God is over there, you cannot make it to him and still be who you are. You can't. There is this gap. That's what Job realized. That's what he cried out for. Oh, if only there was someone who could put their hand on both of us. Put their hand on both. What's the other option? Is there any other option in this scenario that ends well? Well, yeah. The only other way is for God to come to you and meet you where you are. Here's the beauty. When, when the Father sent the Son, when the Father sent the Son, it was the only way to bridge that gap and still be who he is and you still be who you are. It was the only way for, for God to bridge that gap. Praise God that gap was overcome. Amen? Praise God that gap was overcome. It was overcome as the Father sent the Son and who in Jesus meets you where you are. Meets you where you are. And then God being perfect, righteous, holy, and just can now look at you and call you child. Can now look at you because of what Jesus has done and call you child. See the perfection of Christ and call you child. And what's beautiful about this is, is, is God wasn't just content with sending his son over here to you and then leaving you here. No, 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 no. He adopted you. He adopted you through Christ, and so now he brings you. He doesn't leave you. He brings you, and guess what? He is just and perfect and righteous in doing so because of the work of Jesus Christ. He is just, he is right in doing it because of the work of, of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, church, I pray you know that. I pray that you know the grace of the Son. We could go home now but we won't, we'll build on that. And I wanna look at the second, the second part. The love of God or the love of the Father. The love of the Father. So one of the most common uh, expressions we have about our God is God is love. God is love, God is love. And it, it, it's true. In my opinion, it's the least offensive way to talk about our God because who can not like love, right? So God is, is love, um, but, but hear me, God is love could not be true apart from the Trinity. God is love, that, that could not be true apart from the Trinity. And it lies with this fact that our God is a loving Father. Now I wanna push the pause button here because I know that for, for some of us, maybe many of us in this room, that's a bit of a, has a negative connotation to it. Maybe you were, were raised where the idea of father doesn't bring love up in your mind. Um, maybe there's been hurt there, and whenever you hear the term heavenly father or father God, it, it maybe is a bit of a distraction, maybe a, even a hurdle that you have to get over. 
And for you, I just, I am sorry, but, but here's, the, here's the thing, though. When you understand, when you truly understand that God, our God, is a loving, heavenly Father, when you understand that he is a Father, it will completely change your understanding of God. It will completely change your understanding of God. So I read a fantastic book this week, uh, and, and the writer of this book has this beautiful quote that I wanted to share with you. Um, listen to this. It is not that this God does being a father as his day job, only to kick back in the evenings as plain old God. It is not that he has a nice blob of fatherly icing on top. He is father. All the way down, thus all that he does, he does as a father. That is who he is. He creates as a father, and he rules as a father. That means the way he rules over creation is most unlike the way any other God would rule over creation. I love that quote. I love this because when we, everything changes when we understand that, that our God is Father. Everything changes when we understand that Father is not a proper name, but it is who he is. It is what he is. It's not just what we call him but it is who he is. When he gives us instructions and commands, it's no longer an angry traffic cop trying to bust us. It is a loving father who loves us and who cares more deeply than we would ever know. It changes everything. The father is love, and he shows off his love to his children. And listen to this, 1 John um, 4, 7 through 9. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and, and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. It is who he is, not just what he does. It is who he is. God is love. And in this verse, let me ask before we read on, who is, it, who is, this, who is John talking about? Who is he talking about? Is he talking about the Father, Son, Spirit, all of them? Well, who is he talking about? Well, let's continue on. In verse nine, in this love of God was made manifest among us, listen, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. John is specifically referring to God the Father and saying, our Father is love. Our Father is love. The Father who sent the Son is is love. We would not know the love of the Father apart from the work of Christ. We would not know it. It is only through the Son that it is made, it is demonstrated, as Romans tells us. We would not know his love. We, we would not be the adopted sons and daughters of God apart from the work of Christ. We know the love of the Father. We know we can experience it. Um, the phrase, God is love. That phrase, God is love, only makes sense because God is triune. It only makes sense 
because our God is triune. We know the Father's love. We know that God is love because the work of the Son and the work of the Spirit on your heart, that's the only way we know that our God is love. We wouldn't know it apart from the Trinity. And we get to experience this love firsthand as, as children, as, as daughters, as sons of our loving Father, our loving Father. So Paul's prayer here is that they would know the love of God. Because God is triune, we, we know the grace of Jesus Christ. Because God is triune, God is love. And because of the Trinity, now we understand how rich and how deep the love of God is for us. A love so full that he would send his son to die for you. A self-sacrificing love. Self-sacrificing love. So Paul here desires that we know the grace of the son, that we know the love of the father. And now let's look at this, last, this next part of the verse together. And the fellowship of the spirit. Uh, since the Son came and demonstrated loud and clear that the Father loves you. Since the Son demonstrated the love of the Father, now the Father applies that love to us through the Spirit. He applies it to us and, and as this text says, brings us into fellowship. Brings us into fellowship. Um, listen to Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. This is the grace that we've been talking about. But if we read on in verse three, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, that endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love, listen to this, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given us, given to us. The love that was demonstrated on the cross of Jesus Christ has been poured into us, poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. It's been poured in. I want us to just take a moment to sit with that and, and not let that just go over our heads. That love was poured. Here's what that means. Whatever you go through, church, whatever you face, in this text, he's talking specifically about sufferings, but whatever you face, whatever you go through, you don't have to go through it just knowing about God's love. You don't have to go through it just knowing, having a head knowledge of the fact that God loves you. Like, you don't have to go through it just knowing about God's love. I don't know about you, but in the, when the bottom falls out in life, head knowledge is not enough. It's not enough. And it's better than that. Because God pours, pours his love into our hearts, pours his love into our hearts, meaning um, you don't just know about God's love. You know God's love. You feel, you experience 
God's love. You, you know it. It's not just knowledge that's poured into your, your um, knowledge reserve, right? It is, it is love that is being poured into your heart, to the core of who you are. The Father loves you. The Son demonstrated that love for you on the cross, and now the Spirit pours it into your heart. Pours it in. We know this love because God is Trinity. We know this love because God is Trinity. And now you're brought into what this text calls fellowship. Fellowship through the Spirit. Man, you guys can go ahead and come up here. You're brought into fellowship with the Spirit. Um, I want to go back to our example. So we have you... Over here, and you have God over here. Remember, God can't just bring you over because it would go against who he is. Remember, you can't just meander over because of who you are, but instead God sends his son to make a bridge so that he can come to you. And through the perfect love of Jesus Christ, now bring you as a, as a child of God. And, and now, church, now, church, not only have you been brought, not, I mean, that's all good news, but now our, our, your Bible tells you, you have fellowship with God. Fellowship with God. Think about this. You, through the Holy Spirit, can speak directly to the Father. I think sometimes we get so used to that fact that it's no longer incredible you can speak to the Father, and the Father can speak to you. You can have fellowship with God. That church is incredible. That church is incredible, because here's what that means. Your relationship with God is not stale. Your relationship with God is not dead. It's not stagnant. It's not academic. Your relationship with God is real, alive, living, active, breathing fellowship. And this is the Holy Spirit. And this is what Paul desires that they know, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, that you are loved, equipped, and strengthened as you are in fellowship with God himself. Oh, that we would know that. God is love because God is triune. God saved us by his grace because God is triune. And now we are able to be in fellowship with God as we live this life because God is triune. Our God is awesome. And our God is triune. We can't take any of that away. It's not ours to tamper. This is who our God is, and this is the foundation of everything in the Christian faith. This is the foundation of everything because the Trinity is our God. The Trinity is our God. We start here. We hold to this church. We stand on this because this is our God. 
Over the next couple weeks, we are gonna look specifically at the Father, at the Spirit, at the Son. We're gonna look specifically, and through it all, my prayer is like Paul's. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Church, would you stand with me? And as you stand, would you, would you bow your head and close your eyes? As we close with prayer this morning, um, I want us to apply. But we just wrestled through what we just unpacked. I want us to apply that now this morning to our prayer because church, this is beautiful. We're in this place and we are going to talk to the Father. We're gonna talk to our loving Father who, church, hears us. We have no business talking to the Father because of who he is and because of who we know we are, but praise God that the Father sent the Son providing for us a mediator. And so in this moment, we are praying to our Father in the name of the Son. And remember, church, it is the Spirit who gives us fellowship with the Father. It's because of the Spirit that we have fellowship. So here in this place, this morning, we pray to the Father. We pray in the name of the Son. And we pray through the Holy Spirit. Church, we pray this morning because our God is a trinity. Every time that we pray, we stand on this because this is who our God is. So church, would you stand on the Trinity and would you pray with me? God, I am grateful that you have revealed yourself and who you are. I am grateful that you don't fit any other boxes, that you are a God like no other. I am grateful that you have given us the truth about who you are. Father, I'm grateful for your love. I'm grateful that you sent your son to die for, for me, to take me from who I know I am and who I knew I was, and, and God, to come and to save me. And God, I thank you that, that you sent your spirit to help me walk and live for you. You bring me into fellowship with you, and I thank you. God, we stand on the truth of who you are. Forgive us, God, when we try to make you in our own image. You are God. Father, Spirit, Son, you are God. And we stand on that truth. And we worship you as we sing our belief that we believe this as we sing this together, as we proclaim this together. We give you glory. Amen.